This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Shoulder pain is only surpassed by pain in the low back and knee in terms of the most common areas of musculoskeletal pain in the U.S. And the estimates of occurrence for shoulder pain range from 14 to 21 percent. Joining us to help us understand the most common forms of shoulder pain is Dr. L. Ryan Smart. He's an orthopedic surgeon and a member of the Syracuse Orthopedic Specialists and the Upstate Community Campus Orthopedics Group. Welcome, Dr. Smart. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. So shoulder pain, I guess, is pretty common. Explain that to me. I mean, tell us about that. It's, it's incredibly common. I mean, I think it's one of the things that uh, it's a joint we use every day, you know, um, I always joke with my patients, it's not a weight-bearing joint. You know, we're not walking, but as far as living life, every move you make from grabbing a cup of coffee to putting dishes away to potentially job activities affects the joint. And, and, and the other thing with the shoulder that's unique is the uh, it is incredible range of motion. You know, no real joint in the body uh, of the big joints move like it, so it makes it a little bit vulnerable. And, and, and it's more complex, I guess, too. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about when we think of the shoulder, it's, it's not just a single joint. Aren't there several things going on at one time within there are, the anatomy? I mean, there, there are. That's correct. I mean, there's really four main parts of the shoulder joint. There's the main ball and socket uh, joint, which is probably what most people think about. And then you have the area where the shoulder blade articulates with your rib cage because that, that shoulder blade is the same bone that's the socket of the shoulder. So that's really part of it. Uh, and then you have your uh, where your collarbone meets your shoulder, which is up taller uh, or up top. <clears throat> that's part of the shoulder. And then you have what's called the subacromial space where the rotator cuff lives. And that's uh, part of the shoulder where a lot of problems develop. So it really is a very complex anatomical makeup. And that's what allows you to do all those kind of complex movements and, and wide range of motion. Absolutely. So who would you say in your experience is most at risk for these kinds of, of joint problems, specifically shoulder problems? Like, I mean, is it age-related? Is it gender-related? Is there Are there racial predispositions? Are there family history issues? Or even profession, as you alluded to earlier? Sure. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of profession. I mean, the more miles you put on a shoulder. I mean, it, it, in my practice, the carpenters, the iron workers, um, the welders, anybody that does physical activity with their shoulder, it's just, it, it, it takes a lot of abuse. And then, you know, the more I practice, the more I'm amazed with genetics, you know, because they'll say, oh, mom, dad had problems. So I think it's just that, that combination between the way anatomically your shoulder's made, which is a lot of genetics, and there are variabilities from people to people. It's not just the overall design and the bone formation can change and predispose some people to problems. And then you combine that with a, a job or an occupation that really stresses the shoulder joint more. That, those are the people that can really get into problems. Does age play any kind of a role? I mean, it obviously would in so many other kinds of orthopedic issues in terms of, you know, your your joints become weaker over time, perhaps, or you thin out some of the cartilage. I mean, so would you find that age does play a role here? Age does play a role. Uh, you know, and again, it's just because as you get older, your tissue isn't as healthy. The, the vascular, the blood supply decreases, you know, and then some people will, will develop a rotator cuff tear and they'll come in and say, I've, I've done nothing. I don't have any recollection of hurting it. And sometimes you get these attritional age-related tears of tissues just because they're older. And, uh, and that's where age factors in. So what do you, let's just, just an overview statement of the most common kinds of shoulder problems that you see. 
Uh, it's somewhat age dependent, uh, but but certainly greater than probably age 30, it's all kind of rotator cuff type issues. Whether it's rotator cuff, this impingement syndrome we talked about where the, where the rotator cuff tendon impinges against the bone that lives above it, and then that can lead to rotator cuff tears. Um, frozen shoulder is incredibly uh, common, probably one of the most misdiagnosed uh, problems I see. What exactly is that? Frozen shoulder is this nebulous uh, condition where the ligaments around the shoulder, uh, for different reasons, get very inflamed. And it can happen spontaneously or it can happen after a trauma or an injury. And those ligaments get very inflamed and it causes incredible pain. And then uh, you don't want to move the shoulder and then it develops uh, stiffness. Um, so a lot of times, for example, on an MRI, if somebody comes in and has a stiff shoulder, get an MRI, the MRI would be normal because structurally the shoulder's sound, but it's these ligaments that get inflamed. So that, that's a common one I'll see a, a lot, and it, gets, it's, it, it masquerades as other problems. So I think that's why it gets missed quite a bit. And uh, you were, did you allude to arthritis as well? Arthritis is, is, is common. It's, it's not as common as the rotator cuff problems. I mean, you know, the, the weight-bearing joints, knees and, and, and hips get hit harder with arthritis. But it is, I mean, we see it, I mean, in my practice, I see it quite a bit because I do so many shoulders. But in the big scope of things, it's, it's not quite as common as the rotator cuff issues. So let's talk about the rotator cuff. First of all, it seems like an elusive thing. You hear it bandied about, oh, I have a rotator cuff problem or a tear or whatever. Mm -hmm. What exactly is it? Help us kind of visualize what it is and then what goes wrong. Sure, and and, and I spend a lot of time in the office explaining this because it is such of a nebulous thing. But the rotator cuff is actually a series of four muscles that form four tendons that attach to the ball of the shoulder. And the muscles of the rotator cuff live back on the shoulder blade. Hence how the joint's somewhat complex coming off different areas. But then the tendons come and they attach to the ball. And each one of these four tendons does a different job. Um, and they are somewhat distinct entities, the four tendons, but they really work together. Um, so, so that's what the rotator cuff is. It's actually tendons. Four. Connect the four of them. Connect the muscles that attach to the ball. And they're really the steering mechanism for the shoulder. So if any of them are injured, whether it's inflammation or a tear, the whole shoulder steering mechanism gets off. And I always say it's like driving a car without power steering. It's incredibly hard to handle, and you can wreck into more stuff. Mm. So that's that. So what are the causes you you alluded to the fact that it it can be related to overuse or um, wear and tear I mean what usually and you said in some patients especially who are elderly perhaps they may get a spontaneous problem with the rotator cuff but generally what do you see as the things that cause it I mean I've heard it for people of ten who are playing a lot of tennis that kind of thing sure it, it definitely is I mean it's probably mostly activity related I mean the more sp- activities you do that that are probably shoulder chest height or shoulder height and above that's where the rotator cuff is really working hard uh, and can get into problems where if it gets dysfunctional you get into the impingement um, and people that lift a lot of weights guys that guys or gals that like to lift a lot and, and are heavy that puts incredible stress because you're con- kind of converting the shoulder into a weight-bearing joint you make the rotator cuff work harder so certainly the more use in the miles put upon it um, are making it work harder and can stress it if you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with orth- orthopedic surgeon Dr. L. Ryan Smart. We're talking about common causes of shoulder problems, and we were just talking about this rotator cuff. So, first of all, what do you do when you see a patient? I mean, how do you, first of all, diagnose the fact that it's a rotator cuff impingement and or tear, and then what do you do? 
I mean, usually just talking to somebody, listening to the history, I mean, they will tell you just by hearing their complaints, when it hurts, exactly what's going on. I mean, rotator cuff issues, uh, uh, you know, tend to be, again, it'll be like a dull toothache pain. A lot of the pain will creep into nighttime. And that's usually when I'll see people. So just listening to them, you can start getting so the handle. history. The history. So the history, and then usually the, my exam uh, of the shoulder, the physical exam, will kind of confirm what they've already told me. And again, I'll, and the exam's important because a lot of times you want to roll out frozen shoulder. If you're very stiff, then you start saying that it's probably frozen shoulder versus rotator cuff issue. And then from there, uh, you pretty much know. I mean, you get your imaging study, x-rays, maybe an MRI, and, and, and start figuring out which way do you need to go to, to fix the problem. And then which way do you generally go? I mean, are these kinds of things require surgical intervention most often, or can they, can there be more conservative treatments for either the frozen shoulder or the, or the rotator cuff? Sure. I mean, it, mo mo it kind of depends on the length of time and how long and the person's story. But most of the time, these things can get better without surgery, um, particularly the run-of-the-mill kind of achy shoulder, say shoulder impingement, where if they're hurting, a lot of times it's get rid of the inflammation, which is an anti-inflammatory, sometimes a cortisone shot. And there's a lot of myths about cortisone, but cortisone is really a steroid that acts as an anti-inflammatory. So I'll use it to decrease the inflammation in that area and then uh, physical therapy to kind of get the, the joint mechanics working better. And that can really, a lot of times, solve the problem. So um, basically what you're saying is all, most often a lot of these things can be handled conservatively. But when would you have to do surgery? Uh, usually if somebody... On a shoulder. Yeah, example. I mean, if somebody comes in with a story where they've had a trauma, they've fallen, they have an acute injury, and uh, you get an MRI and it shows an acute rotator cuff tear where the tendon's really torn off the bone, that would be something that you'd say go fix. Or if, if somebody's failed what we call conservative measures, it's been months and months and they've done therapy, they've had a shot, they're taking uh, uh, anti-inflammatories, and they've just run the, the gamut and you get an MRI and it shows maybe some partial tearing or this impingement, then you can go in and kind of take care of the, the impingement problem and make it better. And then following that, obviously, there still needs to be some physical therapy and you sure. know, some period of rehabilitation that goes yeah, along with absolutely. that as well. Do people generally regain full function of their shoulders following either of these things? I mean, Again, it depends on, on the extent of the injury, the length of time, it's been going on, the age, all the factors, but most people do amazingly well. I mean, I'd say the vast majority, well, in the 90s of my patients, I think most guys that take care of a lot of shoulders have incredibly happy patients. It just takes time. And I spend a lot of my time, when we do get to the surgical point of it, telling people how long it's going to take and preparing them to not have false expectations that I'm going to be better in six weeks because it's a good three to six months, sometimes longer recovery yeah. Yeah. with those problems. But at the end of the day, the vast majority are very happy that, that they did it. Mm. That they did which either? So, so, it, 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 I mean, mostly I'm referring to surgery. Yeah. If you're at that point, you know, you're talking about that because people get scared. You hear horror stories about mm -hmm. shoulder and rotator mm -hmm. cuff surgeries. Mm -hmm. And because it's so common, they've almost everybody's had a friend or a relative that's had it. And I just try to, you know, walk them through the process. And if they, you know, get through it and they kind of do what they're supposed to do, they do well. In general, are there? Uh, you, you mentioned that it's not as common to have arthritis, but there is arthritis that does play a role, and there. I think there are several kinds of arthritis that can play a role with the shoulder. Sure. I mean, there's the there's the run-of-the-mill that we, we believe is just wear and tear arthritis, whether it's knees, hips, and shoulders, kind of age-related. Again, uh, I'll see a lot of arthritis of that variety, again, in, in the carpenters, iron workers. I just think they beat up the joint and, and really created almost a weight-bearing joint because they use it so much. 
Um, and then that, that's by far probably 90 plus percent of the arthritis that, that you'll see. And then there's a, a, a rare form of arthritis where if the rotator cuff has been torn or bad for a long time, again, it's the steering mechanism for the shoulder. So the shoulder will get out of sync and it can go bad and get arthritic because of that. In those circumstances with arthritis, again, is conservative treatment generally the treatment of choice? Or would you, you know, is surgery ever required in those? It, again, it depends. I mean, if uh, certainly you try to help people with the pain, because by the, most people with arthritis are coming because it hurts. It's just so painful and it's stiff. So it's where, you know, medicine, uh, cortisone shots, therapy can help, but sometimes it can aggravate the joint because arthritic shoulders want to be stiff. They don't want to be moved as much. And then if it really gets bad and it's interfering with life, and that's kind of when you get that decision, you say, well, should we do a shoulder replacement? And uh, those are some of my happiest patients, you know, when you get rid of that awful arthritic pain. And uh, But if it gets bad enough and really interferes with everyday life, that's when that's an option. So is a shoulder replacement somewhat like a knee replacement in the sense that it's you have a full um, artificial joint put in place? Correct. You, uh, you go and you replace the ball of the shoulder and you replace the socket. And that's what you do pretty much in all joint replacements. You replace both sides of the joint and uh, replace it typically with metal and plastic. Mm -hmm. And what's the success rate of those over time? Those do very well. I mean, if you look at the literature, and, and again, most joint replacements 10, 15 years down the road, it's it's well into the 90s as far as the survival. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly they're not made to last forever. It's just the nature of how we do it. So obviously mm -hmm. you, you'd like to do it in people that are less active and a little bit older so they don't wear them out. Are there new techniques coming out in terms of or new procedures as alternative to joint replacements? I know there's been some talk about, you know, for years they talked about certain kinds of, um, you know, pills that you could take, uh, chondroitin and those kinds of things. But then the, more recently there's been talk about certain kinds of um, basically methods that they could inject techniques for things that they could inject to actually change the way a joint is functioning. Sure. I mean, there, there are there are new avenues. I mean, of course, the traditional is cortisone, but that doesn't really change what's going on in the joint, decrease the inflammation. But there are new medicines, not that new, actually been using it really in knees for a long time, that are joint lubricating called visco supplementation. And there's every company has a different variety. And the molecule in that is called hyaluronic acid, which can help. Uh, but I really think down the road, there's 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 two, two things that are coming. One's called platelet-rich plasma. And it's where we uh, draw blood from the patient, spin it down and take the, the liquid, the clearoform, get rid of the red cells. And that has a lot of growth factors. I can go into the joint and, and try to combat what's happening from an arthritic standpoint mm. that's showing a lot of promise. Unfortunately, right now, it's not covered by insurance. Um, the other one is the, the infamous stem cells, where we're, we're starting to realize we can pull stem cells out of people's bone marrow injected into joints and see if it can actually help and, and, and reform and replenish yeah. the cartilage. It's just we're not quite there yet in a really practical come into the office and get this done manner yet as far as I'm But concerned. research is being done in that yeah. area. This yeah, is great. It's, yeah, it's exciting. Thank you so much for coming in and giving us this incredible overview of this whole issue. And, and it's hopeful to think that both conservative therapy and, you know, in some cases surgery is needed, but obviously with positive results. I want to thank you so much for sharing it with us. My guest has been Dr. L. Ryan Smart. He's an orthopedic surgeon and a member of the Syracuse Orthopedic Specialists and the Upstate Community Campus Orthopedics Group. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink On Air.